0: Welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the new edition. My name is Brent Whitmire. I am an editorial and features writer, and I am here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday, June 12th, for the first time ever.
1: (laughs) Welcome, Brent.
0: It's a new era for the Press Gallery, our first podcast with me as your host. And wow, there's even a new seating plan in the legislature. (laughs) We're going to be talking about new things and some other things, too. Here in the studio, before they're all hired away as press secretaries. (laughs) Don't Don't even go there. We have provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. City columnist Paula Simons. I'm not going anywhere else. And provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Welcome, everybody. You're looking incredible. Uh, yes,
1: and sadly, we do not have Ryan Jackson here doing our usual video clip, so you can just take it from Brent that we look fabulous.
0: Absolutely fabulous. So that, that was a joke, of course, about the press secretaries, um, but how, so how many journalists have been lured over to the, to the government as of right now? I
2: think about five. Five or six. Five or six.
0: Yeah. It's the dark side of orange, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, but it leads to a more serious question. We've been seeing quite a bit of pieces falling into place over at the ledge. We have a new lieutenant governor a new speaker. Uh, Miriam, what other changes have been happening?
2: Uh, Well, we have seen the government slowly sort of start to take shape. There are uh, chiefs of staff for each of the ministries, the 12 ministries that have been hired now. Most of those people are from outside of Alberta. A lot of them have ties to organized labor. A lot of them also have ties to uh, the federal NDP and also provincial new Democrat parties as well. And then there are also a few uh, folks here from Alberta who have joined the government as uh, chiefs as well and for the most part sort of organized labor and uh, advocacy organization experience. So that's been interesting. And as you mentioned, there have been some journalists who have Joined the government as well as press secretaries, including notably the uh, former president of the press gallery, former CBC reporter John Archer. Uh, yeah, so so it really is beginning to take shape. People are slowly starting to uh, get their bearings and find their way around the building, and got uh, their first taste at life in the legislature yesterday when they were electing their speaker.
0: And there's one, there's a little bit of a there was a a controversy, a little bit of a controversy yesterday over one particular uh,
2: Graham Mitchell for the uh, Department of Energy. The, the the Wild Rose, I think, actually landed its first blow here by pointing out that Mitchell was the executive director of Lead Now, which is uh, an organization that lobbies against pipelines and had been registered as a federal lobbyist and was arguing against the uh, Northern Gateway pipeline.
1: And, and Energy East, too. I thought that yeah. Was- uh,
2: the Energy East bit, I think, is a little bit more muddy. I don't think it's so clear that he would have been lobbying against Energy East. It was more, it seemed to me more, it was regarding consultation and widening the consultation on that pipeline. But the Energy Minister, Mark mcquaig Boyd, yesterday came out and said that he had taken over that position as executive director on an interim basis he didn't actually do any lobbying on any campaigns uh, and that as the interim executive director he was forced to register himself as a lobbyist because the organization was was a lobby organization
3: I think an issue here though yesterday was the way they handled it they knew the question was coming from the media and the energy minister had a really hard time in the first scrum answering the question about why did you hire this chief of staff who has a a connection with an anti-pipeline lobbying group. And she couldn't answer the question. She was sort of startled. And they knew it was coming. What happened- They
1: had had to know it was coming. They knew it was coming. The press release had been been out for hours.
3: So they brought her out again. Like they knew that she basically booted it. Didn't know how to answer the question. And then later in the day, they actually called us together again for a retake. And that's when she actually explained it a lot better. And that, to me, is uh, the, the big issue here, bigger issue perhaps than the, the hiring of this guy, because it wasn't actually hired. It was hired by the, the premier's office. It was hired basically in bulk. They've hired all these chiefs of staff from across the country. It was a fact that they didn't know how to respond to this, and they had hours to, to prepare. And uh, this was a, a big issue, I thought, in terms of them flubbing it yesterday.
1: You know, it, it is a problem, and and Miriam has, has raised it. I mean, he's... They come to this cold with no institutional body of people who can help them do this job. So they're forced to hire from outside the province people who aren't known in Alberta and who don't have networks of contacts here. Or conversely, they hire people like Bill Moore Kilgannon, who's going to be the chief of staff to health minister Sarah Hoffman, who's well known, but as sort of an activist lobbyist comes with his own baggage from, from working here. And so I, I feel some sympathy for the NDP because they're damned if they bring in outsiders who don't know the ground, or they're damned if they bring in partisans who know the ground rather too well from a narrow perspective. But they have to staff these positions. And then, of course, they're damned by recruiting journalists whose own independence and integrity is then sort of retroactively called into question. And yet, after 44 years of one-party rule... This is kind of the inevitable growing pain. I don't know what other option the NDP have.
3: 44 years, the PC's built up a huge infrastructure of people. The NDP didn't have anybody. They knew maybe the halfway point in the election campaign might actually win this campaign. But also going over the idea of press reporters joining the government, this happened a fair amount under the Tories. And also going back to the point of the NDP hiring you know, lobbyists or people working in um, unions, whatever, over the years, the PCs would hire people from the oil companies to oversee the environment or the energy department. So you know, you got to be careful here about, you, you call on people you actually have connections with, and the PCs did it a lot over 44 years. The NDP is starting to build its own, its own arc, I guess, in a sense, and starting to set sail on, on Monday. We'll see how they actually do.
0: There was obviously skittishness already in the energy file, and uh, there's a promised royalty review coming up. Saskatchewan's knocking on the door. Then came a really fascinating piece uh, from our Calgary Herald colleague uh, Darcy Henton this weekend, and uh, he talked to panelists from Our Fair Share. That was the 2007 royalty review.
2: I just thought I thought what I thought was really interesting about that piece was it was almost like it reminded me of the look in the mirror. Almost, it was like you know here here we did this review, and then nobody had the guts to stick to it. Basically, Albertans included sort of didn't didn't fight for it, didn't you know hold the politicians. Um, Feet to the fire strongly enough. Uh, I have a feeling we'll see people hold the NDP's feet to the fire maybe a bit stronger than the previous premier who tried to do this. Well, Uh, you know,
1: I mean, Graham and I covered that thing in real time. So we, you know, and what happened was Ed Stelmak had appointed a really respected panel of Of people who really knew the industry and who really knew the business sector in general and they came out with an extraordinarily hard-hitting report that said that Albertans were being ripped off that we were not getting our fair share of royalties and this report came out and the panelists were unprepared for the kind of attack that they received from the Calgary oil patch and I must say from the Calgary media.
3: This time around of course there will be other pressures but the oil companies are very well organized and they're going to go out and just start slamming her if they actually do raise royalties. We're not saying they're going to, they're, they're going to do a review of it, doesn't mean they're actually going to do it.
0: So how optimistic do you do you feel about the prospect of a fair share coming our way?
2: The Premier's given every indication. She intends on moving forward with this i mean she has she has acknowledged that this is going to be a political battle they are they are sort of making every indication that they are going to as i said go forward with it but also she keeps saying that it will be a very slow process that nobody will be surprised by the way that it unfolds sort of you know urging that calm the way that she did sort of the day after the election but you know she has to be careful not to alienate her base and her base wants this and this was in the platform and the ndp was elected well different people will argue for different reasons but you know regardless they were they were given a mandate to implement that platform and that's that's part of it
0: monday is throne speech and uh Brian Mason is calling it a light session so basically it's housekeeping until a new budget can be issued in October. So yesterday we took care of the speaker but what yep. should we expect in the next two weeks?
2: The the biggest thing is obviously this interim supply bill that's going to be debated and passed during this short shortened session. That has to happen because we don't have a budget uh, and we need money to keep the government going. But we're also probably going to see a few pieces of legislation um, sort of on the accountability theme. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a piece of legislation like that tabled. And that doesn't mean they have to pass it. Also, for the most part, what this session is about is... It's uh, it's like trading wheels for these new ministers. A lot of whom are rookie MLAs, never have been in the legislature uh, before. Yesterday, and and most of them haven't spoken yet in the legislature.
0: A little bit like uh, kindergarten. You, you go for half a day at first, yeah. and then the fall will go back to grade <laughs> exactly. one.
2: Exactly. In the fall they'll graduate <laughs> to uh, a, you know, a grown up session. Uh,
0: Graham and Paula, do you think this is going to be low hanging fruit, uh, apples, pears, and whatnot? <laughs> Oranges.
3: Yeah. all I don't think any of
1: those fruits hang low. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think here which is lowest.
3: Um, Like potatoes. Um, I I think, yeah, they're making this as quick and easy as possible. They don't want to get themselves in trouble. I've been told that even though there's only 12 ministers right now, the reason they've kept the departments separate and not merged them is because they want to see how the people do, the NDP uh, MLAs do in the House and in caucus this during the next two weeks and then into the fall and then they'll, they'll pick the bright lights and give them portfolios.
1: You can already see this week is even when the House is not sitting cabinet ministers have to step up. I mean, Lori Sigurdson, who is both the minister of uh, advanced education and the minister of labor, has had two things that she had to deal with this week. One, uh, the report that Athabasca University is on the brink of bankruptcy. And the other, this terrible, terrible incident in Calgary, where a young mother was uh, run down outside of a gas bar. She had to deal with the question of what should be the labor standards for people working in gas bars like that. So here she is. I mean, that, you know, the legislature has hasn't sat, and already she's being called upon to answer press questions, make policy pronouncements. So, you know, the ledge may not be sitting over the summer, but those ministers are going to already be earning their stripes. And
2: Sigurdsson actually is very busy because she's also involved in the minimum wage consultations, which yes. are ongoing and which have to. Uh, what we heard on that issue very quickly is that we're going to find out basically by the beginning of July, because obviously they've already set a, a date of October 1st for that to sort of begin happening incrementally. So she, she is quite busy.
3: And we have Shannon Phillips, environment minister, uh, promising us some sort of climate change regulations by the end of June. I'm just flabbergasted, even though there was an election promise from Rachel Notley to have a new climate change strategy within a month or two of getting elected. We'll see how that works out. The, the, The issue here is they can't move too quickly on some of these issues because they're really complicated. I don't think they're going to have a full climate change strategy by the end of June. They're going to have some idea what they're going to do with maybe um, a tax on carbon or, or maybe that direction. But in terms of a full-blown strategy, I think it's going to take them some like three or four or five months.
0: I mean, the Tories had been promising that for, for seven <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, what, what do you think about the opposition parties? What are they do?
2: Well, you know, honestly, for the most part... A lot of the opposition, uh, well, frankly, it's it's mostly the Wild Rose that we see um, as a sort of coalesced sort of opposition. (laughs) The other ones are single member caucuses, but a lot of them are rookies, too. So this is going to be practice for them as well. They're going to practice asking questions of these new ministers who are going to practice giving answers. Basically, this is what that's going to be like. I found the Wild Rose tone to be really different than the tone that The Wild Rose took under Danielle Smith which was aggressive and you know snarky and sarcastic here we're seeing a softer wild rose they're a bit, they're a bit more timid they're being a little bit more cautious uh, yesterday when their critic was questioning why Graham Mitchell had been uh, hired as the chief of staff for the energy minister you know they didn't come out you know guns ablazing you know slamming him for his history and, and the advocacy group that he had belonged to instead the the wild Rose MLA uh, who's the critic for energy uh, Leela here was very sort of calm about it and said you know we have questions about this <laughs> we want to s- we want an explanation. Explanation, <laughs> um, And it was really interesting to sort of s- to see that tone. And so I think that's the sort of tone we're going to see from the Wild Rose in this session as well. So a little bit more congenial and a little bit more conciliatory.
3: In fact, Brian Jean said, you can call me Mr. Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Because, you know, you're right. Uh, that Danielle Smith did a lot of damage to the party. They all did by being overly negative. Um, and so even though they were effective, they brought down Redford in a the sense they brought down themselves. By being negative and then crossing the floor. Whole different issue. Mm. We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, The PCs, interesting position they're in because when they put out news releases, you gotta laugh because they did one two weeks ago accusing the NDP of being undemocratic and and partisan and
2: using government.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> abusing the, the the parliamentary system to get the speaker appointed. Yeah, speaker.
2: and and he said As it, if said there it. had ever been a speaker that wasn't a PC <laughs> yet, and And, and, the then, PC and they, government. They, they
1: said it again yesterday. In the, in the, in well, the, that, you know, that was it, really
2: it, funny because Richard Starkey stood up and said to, the, to, to Nolly in the House, you know, we we want you to not do this the way it used to be done <laughs>
1: by us six weeks ago
2: and so Notley sort of just made a face and sort of shrugged and laughed at him because yeah. you know to, to, to exactly as Paula says six weeks ago the, sit, the tables were very different and uh, you would have done exactly what was going on yesterday.
0: It looked like they were making a sort of feminist kind of push for... Uh, well, uh, wild wild road. Road.
2: Yeah. Uh, I saw a few people on Twitter sort of characterize that as trolling, and in a way, I really have to agree. It was quite a funny sort of position for them to take and point out, you know, here we have a female premier and, and gender parity and caucus and cabinet. And then there they stood up. They had a one of two Wild Rose uh, female MLA <laughs> stand up to take this yeah. position and sort of grandstand about um, making a historic vote uh, by choosing a female speaker. You know,
1: and then, then they went and nominated a, a female NDP MLA, Marie Renaud, from, uh, from St. Albert, which I thought was... Was very cheeky. I mean, I actually thought that was a pretty clever bit of political theater. Yeah. and it was political theater. Oh, I mean, this course. this is this is an entertainment that we got on the political stage.
0: Yeah, the suspense I, was killing us all. It was <laughs> it was pretty
1: funny. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as soon as I got into the legislature,
2: I saw uh, Bob Warner's family, who I met on swearing-in day, coincidentally sitting in the public gallery. And so, you know, Medicine Hat is quite a far trip to take if you weren't <laughs> sure about the
0: outcome. Well, maybe they were coming for FIFA. I don't know. <laughs> as much as we've heard about these new things and we're seeing the first trickles of this this kind of thing where the ndp switch from the opposition to the actual power party inevitable expense stories come out with $20,000 in swearing in ceremony what stood out to you looking at that story and those past uh, swearing in ceremonies. I, I,
1: I think this is complete nonsense. Allison Redford spent almost twice that much money on a private ceremony that nobody got to attend. I don't think $20,000 is an unreasonable sum for what was a public festival that thousands and thousands of people attended, especially if you think that, you know, elementary schools in South Edmonton spend $5,000 to mark their grade six graduations. <laughs> um, I think that $20,000 was uh, money well spent on a public event that thousands of people enjoyed
3: and there was free ice cream too (laughs) (laughs) there wasn't enough but uh (laughs) that's uh, true the the first broken promise
0: yeah (laughs) 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 okay so we've come to one of the favorite parts my favorite parts of the podcast um good stuff from the gallery our weekly segment where we share something we've enjoyed reading watching or listening often not always with a political connection so, Mary,
2: I'm going to recommend an Andrew Coyne column I read a few days ago. I think it was why the Senate reform should be an election issue. Anyway, it's it's uh, I enjoy reading Andrew Coyne, and uh, it's uh, it's a good column on the issue. Obviously, the Senate is going to be uh, sort of in the in the news for the next little while as the Duffy trial continues, and now these new expense scandals that have come out and the and the and the newest report. So. We have a federal election coming up, and I I don't know if there should be a singular election issue necessarily, but certainly I think obviously Senate is something that a lot of people are talking about, and uh, he he makes a good argument as usual.
0: And Nigel Wright just might happen to be testifying (laughs) just right around. Maybe. So we'll see. Okay, Paula.
1: Well, this is the week, of course, that the Toronto Star's Kevin Donovan broke a scandal about uh, Evan Solomon, the uh, former host of CBC's Power and Politics and the House on CBC Radio. So, but rather than recommending Donovan's piece, which you should read, the thing I really want to recommend is a very oh. funny piece from, me, from <laughs> Medium. <laughs> from the other one? From Medium, oh God, from an American so journalist whose name is... Evan Solomon, uh, and the piece is called "Evan Solomon A," eh? in which he lobbies as an American journalist for why, you know, it, it he should say, take it, over
2: yeah. Evan uh, Solomon's mm-hmm. he, Power he, and Politics he, he show. It would,
1: it would save the CBC so much money on letterhead and business cards and Chiron. I mean, he can just step in, and, and it, it's 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 a it's a very cleverly written piece because it also allows you to see how absurd this scandal looks to an outside observer that you know that you that one of your premier journalists lost his job because he was brokering fine art on the side it's the most canadian political scandal ever and my
2: favorite part of that piece is that he calls us america's toque For anyone who doesn't know why this is so funny, his Twitter handle is Evan Solomon, and so every time Evan Solomon from the CBC is in the news, this guy gets bombarded with tweets, uh, and so uh, he obviously started trending on Twitter when this news broke this week about Evan Solomon being fired, and you know, he, peep, journalists were DMing him saying, oh Evan, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to you.
1: right. <laughs> so it's very funny, he said, I, I was told I was trending in Ottawa, which is a bit like finding out that your band is really big in Belgium. So <laughs> so yes, if you know, read Kevin Donovan's Read piece it. by all means but but this piece by the other Evan Solomon <laughs> in medium.com is,
0: is really extremely funny I'll have to take a look and Graham I've uh, been
3: away for two weeks Aww. so I'm sorry I've been <laughs> so I have nothing actually political to, you, you, to wh- what
1: were you reading on your holiday
3: I was on a motorbike, so I didn't read a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to read on a motorbike, well.
1: Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I've read that.
3: Uh,
0: So for my part, I've actually got two, so I can make up for Graham. One political, one not. One light, one heavy. So given a very disturbing week in Edmonton in crime news, the the heavy read is from a couple weeks ago in The New Yorker called The Inexplicable. It's about Anders Breivik, uh, the Oslo man who calmly killed 77 people in July 2011, 69 of them face to face. It's just unfathomable. He asks a disturbing question, what is it that prevents any one of us from killing? On the right side is uh, Daniel LeBlanc's uh, piece in today's Globe and Mail. He gets an outsider, an American ph- political photographer, to look at the official photo streams of our three contenders for Prime Minister, uh, the photographer's analysis just by looking at photos to, to the public perceptions of these leaders. Really interesting. It also gets me wondering about that uh, that uh, $20,000 uh, swearing-in ceremony and the doubling of the photography budget by the NDP, went from 1500
1: to $3,000. But that's, that, that's, that sounds like fun, and it's a bit akin to mine too, because when you see how Canadian politics looks through an outsider's eyes, you, you see see it in a fresh light
0: so uh well guys i believe i've reasonably tempered expectations <laughs> and taken some very basic steps to keep my harshest critics at bay uh this is my <laughs> elementary school you, you're, uh, you're, you're still being This griefed. is like
2: your practice <laughs> session. this is my
0: practice session there's no video so you can't see how uh, red i've turned uh, and our complete overhaul will come in october <laughs> want to connect via facebook check out the journal's facebook page and we're all on twitter you can hear previous episodes of this podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the edmonton journal soundcloud feed uh, the show is also available on itunes and TuneIn in radio the press gallery will be there waiting for you by saturday morning i promise Thanks Graham, Paula, and Miriam for joining me in the newsroom studio and I'd like to thank Press Gallery creator Sarah O'Donnell for her help. Sarah is one of my most admired colleagues, a tough, hard-working journalist, the kind that makes me want to do better at my job. I feel I've got big shoes to fill and I'd like to thank her very much for letting me try and adopt her baby.
1: <laughs> Careful, she's, she's got three and, three and some days she might, she might take you up on that.
0: Uh, tune in next week where we'll dissect the throne speech and the first week of session. And that's all for now from the PowerPoint Press Gallery. Thank you for listening.